0: What's that? Solve the problem. Solve. Yourself. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. <laughs> Darius Oliver, you, uh, you're a bit of a surprise in my life. We met the other day. You're, uh, you're one of my favorite types of people to interview on the podcast, uh, creators of golf courses. You don't like to use the word architect. I've heard you say this. I'm not sure you want to talk about it on the podcast. I don't think you'll make anyone feel bad if you do. But uh, welcome to the show, Darius. How are you? I'm great, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to talk about any subject. I do have a
1: habit of uh, putting my foot in it and offending people, but um, now I'm, I'm used to apologizing. So any, there's no subject off limit.
0: What? Um, okay. So real quick background for those listening back in America. Uh, tell me a little bit about you know just briefly where you're from, how you got into uh, w- uh, the building and design of golf courses, and um, some, you know, talk about that a little bit. Uh, okay. It's tough to do briefly, but I'll try. I mean, grew up in Melbourne, golf with
1: my grandmother who um, kept playing golf till she was 90. She um, was the person that got you into golf. She's my, yeah, she was um, the person who got me into golf. She was my hero. Uh, just loved hanging out with her. She had 30 odd grandchildren. She introduced us all to golf. Whoa. M- so
0: my- wait, was there, I'm sorry. Can I pause it for one second? Yeah. Sorry. All right. We're back. We're, I just I just adjusted the microphones. They're sitting on books. But before we get into your grandmother and your 29 uh, grand siblings, like, I don't know how you, cousins, cousins I guess. Yeah. Um, let's just explain, I like to explain where on earth we are. We're in a tiny house. We it's are. very tiny.
1: It's about eight by four, I think, meters, um, little tiny cottage that Sir Michael and Lady Christine Hill lived in for a couple of years while they built. The biggest house in New Zealand. They pretty much stayed in the smallest house.
0: Is it really the biggest house in New Zealand? No,
1: I'm joking. But it's, uh, I think, from memory, about 100 meters wide, that house. Um, That's large. It's very large. That's 300 feet. Yeah. And I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. So, again, I might have to apologize. You can say anything you want. I believe you've had some very famous American pop stars stay there. Yes. Um, I don't know if you know Katy Perry. Katy Perry and Justin Bieber, I think, stayed there, and I'm not sure who else. But there were some, yeah, some big names over there. But no, it's a beautiful property, and to, to think they lived in this cabin for a couple of years while they built it, uh, it doesn't seem believable in some ways. But this is cozy, and it's everything I've ever needed while I was here.
0: Well, you've got something really beautiful, which is, I mean, we're we're in a room about the size of the tailor-made tour van. Yeah, where they where they put together clubs weekly for tour players but we're in the base of the most beautiful valley I've ever seen in my life Yeah, where you built a golf course. But, but, but before we get into that, <laughs> I'm intrigued to know that it was your grandmother that got you into golf and not, uh, you know, obviously, typically it's going to be your father or someone like that. And I'm always very interested in looking at why golf is segregated and why there are men's only clubs and why there's a certain day at a course that women aren't allowed to play and why the dress code is so difficult for women to figure out in general. Um, I'd really disapprove. I, I, I not disapprove. I things like that are very disappointing for me. Mm. And so I'm curious to hear about your grandmother who was born, I'm assuming in the
1: 1919
0: 20s. Yeah. 1919.
1: Yeah. Uh, and look, she disapproved of all that stuff too. She'd be right on your wavelength. And and it's funny because I'm now in my forties and I play golf the way my grandmother taught me to play golf. So she, had, she, w- she wouldn't suffer fools and she had none of that nonsense that you just described. We used to go down to a public golf course. She was the captain of the, or the treasurer of the Nepean Golf Club um, in Melbourne, which was on a public golf course. And she'd tee off in darkness. So if I wanted to play with my gran, we'd hit off when it was dark because she could not stand waiting behind golfers, taking four hours to play around a golf. So she'd get to the first green, just as the sun came up and the first proper groups, came off and then we'd come through nine have to go into the pro shop and apologize for not paying our green fee and teeing (laughs) off before they were open and then continue on and three hours later maximum three hours later we were done and my grandmother was really busy I mean she delivered Avon till she was in her 90s um, and she had things to do she didn't want to spend four and a half hours playing golf she loved golf but we had to get it over with quickly and uh, I hit the ball very straight because if you hit it in the trees when you play with my nan she'd take a couple of steps in she would it's lost drop another ball (laughs) And you know, when you're a kid, you don't want to lose balls. So I learned pretty quick to hit it straight. Um, and then I joined Huntingdale Golf Club in Melbourne, which is really almost anorexically straight for a sandbelt course. So yeah, I, d- I developed my game. I play in less than two hours. I play super quick, um, yeah. and I hit it straight. And it's all because of my name.
0: We we played together yesterday at the uh, par three course you designed. Um, what what uh, what number in your uh, you know li- liturgy of courses is that? Is that Two. That's your second course. Yeah, I mean,
1: I've consulted on a course right near my home in Mornington, um, and I've done a fair bit of consulting work, actually, um, but, yeah, second. Cape Wickham was was the first one, and... Jeez, dropping the bombs. Second.
0: So, yesterday, we played uh, this par three course in the South Island of New Zealand called The Farm... The Farms? The Farm? The Farm at the Hills, yeah. The Farm at the Hills, so... And the reason it's called The Farm, by the way, is it actually literally was a farm.
1: Lady Christine and Michael Hill, they'd walk their dogs every morning through that farm, and... All the playing surfaces are just a mowed down brown top, Brent, uh, brown top bent grass. And so we just wanted, the whole idea was this is a stroll through the farm. So that's why there's no major earthworks, there's zero bunkers, there's a hundred year old water race that runs through the property that's you know, better than anything I could have created. So we just, you know, we set nine T's up or nine holes that have T's and the T's are everywhere
0: as you saw. Whoops. Um, we're, uh, we're just experiencing technical difficulties and yeah. things are falling <laughs> And it's very just really quick just so people I, I, people need to know the sounds okay. so that was called dropping a camera in the kitchen of the tiny house it, it almost oh, fell play. he caught it on his it foot did very well if only we had footage uh, we're yes, in the sir, it was rolling we're, we're rolling <laughs> We're going to show all of that. Everybody can see all. Of it. Anyway, sorry. Back to you. That might have been an unfortunate noise,
1: but he probably saved you a couple of grand by catching it with his foot there. So
0: I mean, well. and the stories are priceless, as you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the the idea is lay of the land, nine green sites, the most natural property I've seen anywhere for that kind of golf course. So uh, as I said to you when I first met you, you know, I don't want any credit for that because imagine having the idea of or having a dream to build a golf course that juniors, seniors, and everybody in between could love and enjoy and want to play over and over again. And then being gifted that kind of land, um, it was sort of too good to be true.
0: You just said something that really makes my golf heart uh, sing, right? You said a course where juniors, seniors, and everybody in between can love. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, love and have fun. I mean, everyone says fun, but how many of them actually build golf courses that are really fun, that you walk off the 18th green or the 9th green and you want to go again? I mean, modern golf, you get off the 18th usually, and you're battered and bruised, and you need, a, you know, a, a hot shower or something, or a cold bath, or whatever it is, and right. a couple of stiff drinks. It's, that's not the game that the Scots invented. It's not the game that I love, that's for sure.
0: Why? Ooh, wow! This is the best podcast so far, and we're only seven minutes in. Um, you just said the game you love basically existed in Scotland and then went away. What happened?
1: Oh well, gosh! I might offend you and your your listeners. I, oh, I think the
0: Americans are at fault, my friend. No, no, no! I'm not. You can I, blame I, them wholeheartedly. I mean, the
1: standardisation kills golf in lots of ways, and I think standardisation probably did start in America. Although, look, professional golf is probably the least interesting subject to me i'd rather talk about american politics sure than professional golf but
0: ironically we're here at a pro event
1: we are that's true pro you know, event but so. before
0: we dig, let's let's actually touch on that for a second because i do agree with you on some level right i mean professional golf i'm like i don't relate i used to watch it i don't anymore it's not that i made a point of not watching it it's just that i stopped caring mm. and that's strange to me to, to find out that a, a long time goes by and i realize, wow i canceled my cable i'm not interested what what happened yeah i just i grew out of it and i'm curious to think to think about it on that level right but but at the same time we need it we need you you and i need that you, you have a job in golf i have a job in golf with no professional golf i don't really have a job no i know
1: look i sound like a hypocrite sometimes because i talk down professional golf but one of my big crusades or campaigns, if you like, in Australia is to get golf back on TV. When I grew up, we had Greg Norman, number one in the world. He'd come and play 13, 14 tournaments in Australia each year, which is almost un believable now if you tell people that the best golfer in the world i mean imagine tiger woods coming and playing 10 or 12 events in australia every year. it's unheard of
0: i mean i didn't even know there's that many cities
1: yeah well there are i mean one year when greg norman was number one in the world I'm, I'm gonna i'm hopeless with the stats but i think he won like the queensland open the south australian open the new south wales open all, all in the same year i mean it was insane he won five or six tournaments like
0: three grand slams in one year yeah
1: and and now those tournaments are probably hundred thousand dollar events they're basically you know pro-am sort of caliber right but it's like, without sort of hijacking your podcast, in Australia, we had a thing called the anti-siphoning list. So major sport and important sport was protected on free-to-air television. In Australia, we have less than 30% of people have cable or pay TV. Interesting. So golf, the four majors and the four tennis majors and the World Cup and the Olympics and all that stuff's protected. Right. And I personally think Golf Australia completely dropped the ball by not protecting our game. So now golf's not on the anti-siphoning list. So if I'm a young kid and I like the game of golf... I think those four majors are the only professional events that really matter. Whoa. And they can't watch them. So if you're and my son's 16 and I see it with his mates who have all joined Mornington Golf Club and the kids that have got pay TV are still in it and they're loving it. And now they're joining Peninsula and they're joining Sandbelt Clubs and they're moving up and they're obsessed by the game like I am. They're recession proof golfers. They're they're addicted to this game and they'll play it for the rest of their lives. The other kids who might have had the same ability, maybe the same inclination to follow this game forever, mm. who haven't had access to golf on TV, the majors, there some of them, not all, of them, but some of them are sort of finding other things. I know one of his mates is a fish, is into fishing now, mm. and I'm like, God, oh, fishing! How can you play? <laughs> how can fishing
0: compare to golf? I I'm mean, not big into fishing. I, I don't. But wait, you just said a, you just said a word that I, a phrase that I would never heard before: recession-proof golfer. I've never heard that.
1: Well, that's what I am. That's. Look, what does to it go, mean? To go back to my grandmother, my grandmother taught me, uh, you know, introduced me to golf. We played on the public courses of Melbourne. When I was thirteen, for two years I caddied at Royal Melbourne, and that was a really sweet deal. Like you just grab a um, a trolley and you'd pull a member's bag for eighteen holes. And I do remember one day a a doctor who had a black ping bag and he was a left hander and he gave me twenty bucks. And the reason I remember it is he was the only one who ever paid me. (laughs) (laughs) Because the but the reason why you did it, you didn't do it for money. You did it to get this caddy card. And the caddy card at Royal Melbourne meant you could play golf after four thirty. So my record at Royal Melbourne, I went around three times one evening, three rounds of golf after the four thirty. Whoa! And so as soon as I started playing Royal Melbourne, I got it. You know, golf changed from a public course. What, What age? 13 13, 13, 13, 14. You know, when you're standing on a team, you've got to make your own decisions. You've got hundreds of metres of hundreds of meters of meters fairway to hit into. At Brighton, I had tree line fairways. I had to hit my ball straight. Royal Melbourne, suddenly I could hit it anywhere I wanted, figuring out that if I took on the bunker, I got a better shot. All that stuff, and I was addicted, and I've been addicted the rest of my life. So no matter what happens to me... Um, and I just made that up, by the way. Recession-proof golf. If I lose my job, I've got no money. I've got my. You saw my old set of clubs. I'm going to find a way to play golf. If I have to skip a meal a day, yeah, you know, I'll join somewhere like Arrowtown. This place is fantastic. It's five or six hundred bucks a year, um, and there are there are clubs like that in Australia. Same sort of deal where you can still play golf the way the Scots created affordably and with fun.
0: I'm, I'm almost crying to be honest with you. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, because because you're saying things that are sadly. Not always real. I'm also a little Im- embarrassed about our discussion about Royal Melbourne from yesterday because I didn't realize that it had such a piece of your heart. And I come in as a tourist and I don't understand it. I, there's no way to understand a place like Royal Melbourne on your first round.
1: Well, probably not. No, I mean that's that's why. Like, what I've done, you know, traveled tra- traveled around and been to you know a couple of thousand golf courses. Generally, um, I'll walk them and then play them. Rather than just play them, because when you play them, you kind of get caught up in your own game. Mm. So unless you can play Royal Melbourne 10, 20, 30 times, how do you really figure out, unless you just walk the fairways and just look at the contours, and then in particular, look at the greens, and look at the greens and think about, okay, you hit your ball on the right, so you go to the right, now you've got a tough shot, but when you walk it and you're not playing it, you get to sort of analyse what would have happened if you hit it next to the bunker on the left or... So look, it's fascinating. I I understand golf is an acquired taste in some ways, in terms of golf course um, appreciation. But I think there's what I call the sort of science of subjectivity that you and I could stand on the 15th at Kingston Heath. I know you love Kingston Heath, and we'll both say that's a great hole. I mean, it's a great hole, and we can stand on a hole and without you know, there's some examples in this valley of bad holes, holes Mm -hmm. that you know we go well, this doesn't really work. And so there are obviously shades of grey in between. But when you stand on the, I mean, the first hole at Royal Melbourne West gets your way. It's a decent, solid hole. But number two's world-class, three's world-class, four's world-class, five's unbelievable, six is unbelievable, <laughs> seven. I mean, seven's the devil, but it's so cute. And eight and nine are decent holes, too, underrated, but then ten's world-class, Eleven's world-class. I mean, all of a sudden you go, is there a course that has that many world-class holes anywhere outside you know, the very top of those ranking lists?
0: I think I got hung up at, at, uh, Royal Melbourne on the idea of, um, uh, you know, cause for me as a photographer, right. I, I traveled the world as a student, really in my young life, a student of Ansel Adams, not a student of golf. Okay. Um, and so, you know, Ansel Adams, yeah, 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 you know, as, as a way of, um, you know, I mean, he would hike for days to find that one spot where everything aligned treating the world like kind of like a uh, diorama, and he just needed to get in the right spot for it and wait for the right lighting. So for me, I, um, without even thinking about it consciously, I treat golf courses that way. And so sometimes I might be looking at a hole that you would find sort of, uh, you know, uh, forgettable, maybe. <laughs> but I'm looking at it You're saying, offensive. well, I mean, I'll talk about, is it the fifth at New South Wales? Yeah. Right, so I'm, I'm looking at the fifth. I like that better than the sixth the par three, right? Yeah, yeah. The fifth for me has an experience of magic. Yeah. And it's a good you, hole, right? Well, it's a great hole. I mean, but what, yeah. but, but for, if you, those of you listening, I, we sound maybe pretentious to be talking about oh, hole I'm, numbers without explaining what it is. But the point is the fifth hole, you come over a rise and you see the gray ocean Yeah, and you hadn't seen it prior.
1: You hadn't seen it prior and you get that thrill at the top of the rise. And it's actually to go back to what we we're talking about before with professional golf and it's all pervasive. And it's, to me, it's way too um, influential and in golf professionals and their opinions and that matter too much in golf now. But, that's an example of a hole where if a professional tells you they don't like the hole, it's almost a compliment because sometimes the wind's howling into their face. Maybe not so much now because they've got 460 cc drivers and juiced up golf balls. They all carry the crest. But back in the day, I remember, oh, into the wind, it's horrendous. You know, you can't carry the crest. You can't. Your second shot's blind over the hill. That's golf. I mean, sometimes golf's played in a you know, howling wind into your face and a howling wind at your back. And sometimes it's dead still and pristine and absolutely magic. Right. But it's never the same, especially on a property like New South Wales. And um, I think there's a little bit of that on the 10th at Wickham. that when you get to the crest on that fairway that drops down towards the crashing ocean, um, I'm yet to see a group go through 10 at Wickham and not take out their phones and take a photo. And it's the same as the 5th at New South Wales. And so how can you really... Are the bunkers and the green at the 5th at New South Wales as sophisticated and as spectacular as Kingston Heath and Royal Melbourne? No, because Mackenzie didn't have Morecambe who built those bunkers in Melbourne. But who cares? I mean, it's one of the most spectacular settings in golf. It gives you a thrill. It doesn't matter if it's miserable and grey. It's still fantastic to be on that crest.
0: So do you know the calculation? You must have considered this. In your own head, as you travel these thousands of courses that you've traveled to as a golf lover, as an architect, as a thinker, you you must have tried to calculate the pie chart of what makes a good hole and or course. You must have. Yeah. What yep. do you, what have you what have you learned?
1: Well, if I the easiest one to answer is the course rather than the hole because the hole that would, that would take up your whole podcast. But
0: yeah, to me, <laughs> ah, it's, it's interesting a, that the smaller example takes longer to well, understand. Well, it does.
1: It does because um you, you know I mean the beauty of golf is short par fours, mid par fours, long par fours. I could tell you what I think is a definition of a great. Version, And I could also tell you a, a, what I think is an example of a poor hole, poor par four, poor short, short par four. And then straight in my head, I can think of a hole that bucks
0: that convention yeah. and is fantastic. Well, golf is a great example of hypocrisy. It is. It really is fantastic, and, and I've learned. And you know, one of my one of my things I say the most on this podcast is, I will tell you my opinion, and then I will prove myself wrong on the same episode. Yeah, because <laughs> that's just it's just it's just what it is. I mean, is, yeah. so anyway, go ahead. The, the, the course yeah, so is the, the first. The,
1: the course, and you know, I don't think I necessarily sat down and said, "I'm going to go see all these golf courses. I better come up with a formula that works for me." But I look, and I've done this ever since I was a kid. Just stand on the first tee and. Think about that hole. How good's that hole? How good's the second hole? How good's the third
0: hole? Go all the way. I do have my own little system, which is going to bore. bore Tell me, listeners. no, it's not going to bore us. We're golf. We're golf geeks here. Tell me the system. Okay. Everyone, stay tuned for Darius. Everyone, pull over if you're driving. Take out your voice recorder because this is good. It could be the most
1: boring two minutes of uh, listening that you've ever you've ever experienced. But, and go. <laughs> no, no. So as I said before, I think there are obviously shades of grey in golf, but there are moments when you stand on a tee of a hole that is. It blows your away. It's world class, and there are obviously moments when you stand on the tee of a hole and it just makes you want to vomit. And to me, that's a poor hole. So there's there's poor holes, there's okay holes, there's good holes, there's very good holes, there's great holes, and then there are the odd holes that are world class. And
0: that, there's literally seven you just gave me. That's, do you do you actually class it that way? Yeah, and but okay.
1: but what's funny is there's all these different classifications, and if you look at my little scorecard notebook of golf when I go through a golf course, like I just went to uh, Malaysia a couple of weeks ago, and I know that was Gill Hans well, I caught up with him in Thailand, but in Malaysia, I went to the Els Club in uh, Langkawi, okay. and I noticed when I finished my round that all eighteen holes had like a G slash V. So that means it's sort of good to very good, or an O to G means it's okay. To, I couldn't, I still can't narrow it down specifically to one of those seven. You're groups, not willing to commit. I'm not willing to commit. So, but <laughs> when, when you look at when you include the sort of G's to V's and V's to V's to great, um, it works out to sort of be a scale of one to ten, and and it's not meant to be rational like that. But I think when you get through the end of the 18 holes, you then go back and think, well, what are the greens like? How much variety is there? Um, Wind direction, you know, the path fives, path threes go. At Cape Wickham, all the path fives are in different directions. Just things like that. If all the holes, dogleg left to right, and they're all great, you know, the course has to get marked down. And if the routing's hard to walk or if you're constantly walking backwards between greens and tees, you've got to mark it down. I mean, St. Andrews and Royal Melbourne and Cypress Point, these courses give us the gold standard for routings and how golf should flow from one hole to the next, so you can have eighteen great holes. Well, not maybe not eighteen great holes, but eighteen very good holes. I'm going to mark you down if you if I can't walk it, and if it doesn't sort of have a logical flow and sequence and and things like that. So,
0: you uh you bring up an example that confused me. You said the old course, and uh, as far as I know, they didn't know what they were doing when they yeah. did that. Yeah. How did they do it so well?
1: Well, I mean. Did they get lucky or did they sort of retrofit golf into what they had there at St. Andrews? I mean, I think the, tr- like the professional game and the administration of the game, which I, I'll bang my head on this table if we talk about it too much. but
0: Luckily, it's a small table.
1: It is. <laughs> if you look at 15T or 16T, the, be- the best two examples of how a golf hole should flow from one to the other to me are fifteen and sixteen at St Andrews. So fourteen green to fifteen T, fifteen T to six uh, fifteen green to sixteen T. Okay. They're magic. The problem is that you now look behind you and there's a T a hundred yards back. And so the intimacy and the flow of St Andrews when you're just an, an average amateur and you go and walk off the green and step onto the next T like you did for hundreds of years, you know they those greens, I mean, they originally when they hold out, they would, what was it, two club lengths from the hole, they yeah. would tee up and keep going.
0: And they would put a little pile of dirt little down. A
1: little pile of sand and hit off. I mean, that's the way it was arranged. And so to me, unless you're going to ignore all the heritage and the history of golf and the origins of the game and why we love it, if you're going to start again and go, you know what, here's 18 holes connected by cart paths, then that has to be your gold standard. That has to be what you aspire to. So at the farm, like there's a couple of, you know, the first to the second, you walk around the water race. You know, that's i want to say it's a 40 meter walk it's not a long walk but it's spectacular and it's then, pleasant and then when you get to the second hole you all of a sudden you get that that scene and that, and that well shot. And so. in
0: fact i remember that moment you um we were coming off of the first uh you had you made a bogey but you didn't mean to you three put it you three put it on your own green
1: well i three put it a couple of times <laughs> <laughs>
0: when you three put your own green are you just like i'm a jerk <laughs>
1: I might have whispered at one point to my caddy, who who actually on the back of the fifth. I, I tell I tell everyone the beauty of the fifth hole is it looks dead if you're long, but actually it's the best place to to miss it. And I missed it. I missed it long yesterday. I was
0: told to miss it long, and I did. You did. I think you made a nice three. I made it incredible. The putt was actually one of the best putts of my life.
1: Well, I hit a chip. <laughs> just just left of the pin and it took off and ended up eight feet away. And I, I did mutter under my breath to the guy who built the course, who was caddying for me, who built this bloody thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because your <laughs> caddy was the, uh, was, was the, the shaper. shaper. And then he said to me, well, who designed this bloody thing? There so, you go. So no, it was a bit of fun, but um, no, I'm a terrible putter. So I don't.
0: No, you're not a terrible putter, but it was in, I, I actually really enjoyed the first hole. I, um, I was I was miles short. I was just on the front of the green, the pin was on the back, and I really had a pleasant two putt over this wonderful ridge in the middle of the green. And then what we were talking about is the walk from that green to the second tee is um it's it kind of feels like, you know, when you exit through the gift shop kind of, except the gift shop is the most beautiful valley yeah. and, and you did it you know, one of the things I've heard on the pod, uh I can't remember who said it. It might have been David McClay Kidd. He said, golf architecture is all about the reveal. You know." And I think that's what yeah. i about number five at New South Wales yeah. is the idea of you don't show. To, it's almost like foreplay. It is. You know. It's like, it's like you have this sort of dance before the golf. And the idea, I had never considered that the green to the tee, that walk between holes when you're sort of putting your glove back on and you're sort of looking at your ball and seeing if it's clean or dirty and, and assessing the next problem to solve. I didn't realize how sacred that is
1: it is and it's directional too. Like, to me the the biggest turn off in golf is walking backwards to go forward. So you walk back, you turn around, or you drop your bag, you walk back, you turn around and you go forward. That happens unfortunately in the US on a lot of the old great old courses that host tournaments, so Riviera, Wingfoot for example. I mean just the way they were designed, their compact properties, the golf ball, you know, golf professionals hit the ball so far they've had to add all these crazy back tees on them. But as long as you're moving forward, and the reason why I think of, of all the modern-day golf course designers, Bill Corr is, is, to me, the standout, is because he has that rhythm. And if he has a transition from green to tee, it's usually moving in the right direction. So at Cape Wickham, we have our longest walk was 13 to 14 past the clubhouse. Yeah. But we deliberately routed it so you walk straight at the lighthouse you know tallest lighthouse in the southern hemisphere then you turn along the the ridge and you're looking down across victoria bay and across the 18th hole and so you kind of forget that it's 250 300 meters it's a bit like the reason uh, the the sort of justification for it was the big long walk at at um highlands links in canada that Stanley thompson had 500 600 yard walk along a riverbank which is beautiful but you're walking in the right direction you know you keep Heading towards the finish line. Interesting.
0: So. so it's in between green and tea and he gave you a par five in between those.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, at Highlands Links. You walk right along the river. It's beautiful.
0: And it's and there's no hole though. You're just going no, on a walk. You're just walking, and no one cares.
1: And no one cares. No. Whoa. And so, Kate Wickham, you know, we, we we thought long and hard about putting a par three from thirteen into where the clubhouse was. Oh. So, yeah, you know, is is it? three hundred or two I think it's about two hundred and seventy metre walk. Is it acceptable at this time this part of the round?
0: But That's yeah. that's right behind the practice putting green, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So and, and there's a nice little hole there, but you can't put the clubhouse and a hole there. And, no. and and look, it's the last five holes would have become the last four holes, so we would lose seventeen or we'd lose right. one of those oh, finishing. Those holes. are some magical holes. Yeah. So look we we couldn't do it. We we thought, you know, 13 5 hole loops quite cool. You know, most people want nine and nine, so um but look again, you know, Royal Melbourne's got seven holes, six holes come back to the clubhouse, mm. Pine Valley five holes come back to the clubhouse. Mm. You know, Marion doesn't come back until what is it, the thirteenth or fourteenth?
0: Yeah, thirteenth. Um, most L- of the Lynch great doesn't go back.
1: Yeah, St Andrews obviously doesn't come back at all. <laughs> St Andrews
0: so, just takes you out. Yeah,
1: it loops you out, and <laughs> and that's what why I was saying before about you know these sort of black and white rules that I have that aren't really black and white. They're really shades of grey because all of the great courses buck some trend or some convention and. Um, that yeah, that's, that's what I think held golf back to answer your earlier question about when it became standardized and formulaic. Anytime you can design something on a computer and you don't actually physically need to visit the site, I think we've got a problem.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, those listening uh, don't know the story, so I'll tell it a little bit. But, uh, well, I guess I'll tell it backwards. You and I met yesterday, uh, two days ago, and we're sitting in this James Bond-esque clubhouse that is an award-winning uh, clubhouse design by a Kiwi architect at the hills here. And you had a vest on that said Cape Wickham. And I wasn't sure, I, 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 I in respect to you, I, I was looking forward to doing our interview, but I also in some ways try not to do too much research because I prefer to just learn it from you. Sometimes that backfires, obviously, but it hasn't this time <laughs> because you're a great storyteller and, and you're a great interview. I but I didn't know that you designed Cape Wickham. And so having played there myself, I'm obviously very interested in when, when anyone has, uh, you know, wants to tell the world that they're involved or have traveled to a certain place, especially the place like that. Well, I'll get to that story. But anyway, I said, oh, and I wasn't sure how to ask you. I, I don't know if I told you this, but I was like, I, I feel like he probably designed Cape Wickham. But if I ask him and he says, no, well, that's not a very good way to do it. So then I was like, were you in? And I was like, he probably didn't just visit Cape Wickham and buy a shirt. Nah,
1: nah, and well, so then I was well, like, hopefully- were you
0: involved? And you said, yeah, I designed it. And I was like, that's sick.
1: I spent 250 days on that island. While we were doing that <laughs> golf course, so I put a fair bit of myself into it. But it's funny because a um, small island. It's a tiny little island, and and I loved every minute of it. It's it's hard there, and um, you know it was a tough project to work on. But
0: so before we dig into it, I just want to overview it. Cape Wickham. Uh, now, how many? Two two years old, three years old?
1: No, it opened in at the end of fifteen. So okay, was three and a bit,
0: three and a half years old, something. Um, obviously Darius, uh, designed it and the idea it's, 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 it's on a small island called King Island that is off the coast of Tasmania. It's in the state of Tasmania.
1: Yeah. It's between Tasmania and Victoria, but it's in Tasmania state
0: and the island. I mean, can't be right. It's the size of Nantucket, right? It's very small, 30 miles, something. Yeah. 15, yeah. yeah. And there's two courses. Cape Wickham, uh, another new one, Ocean Dunes. And
1: there's also an old course that's been around for 80 years, a little nine-hole course that you missed out on. It's fantastic. Oh, next time. And, yeah, next time.
0: Um, and so I went um, at a time in my life where things were uh, different for me, right, in many ways. But, the, but the, main, the main example for this story of why they were different is I didn't know as much as I know now about architecture or travel or myself or what I'm interested in. And so we played... And Cape Wickham was a very intense experience for me. And, um, you know, Stuart and I were there alone, not really working. And it was just after his wedding, his wonderful new bride, Cassandra, agreed to let us take a small sort of honeymoon to, to, uh, to King Island and, and travel around. And for me, the, one, of the, one of the very strange experiences of the, of the trip was, obviously, I mean, it's a magical course. Uh, I don't, I need to go back now that I know more. I'd love to go back with you sometime. That'd yeah, be yeah. fascinating to, to understand. Um, but it, it has a lighthouse, obviously, which you mentioned. And for me, it was strange because I had just gotten back from Ireland where we spent time with my parents. I was at Old Head. And I, and I realized that, in fact, Cape Wickham and Old Head are not that far apart from being uh, the Antipodes. Yeah. Like, literally, Cape Wickham is on the opposite side of the world as it Ireland. Is, yeah, it's absolutely. it's not that far away. No. Like, it's maybe a couple hundred miles. And then I was, like, really tripping out. I don't know. It must have been super jet-lagged. But the idea that maybe that lighthouse just extended through the center of the earth. <laughs> anyway,
1: that's my story. I'm sticking to it. They're both beautiful. So, so, so Scottish golfer honeymoons with mate on king island (laughs) with american mate on king island tasmania that's a pretty cool story that's a golf
0: story if you haven't seen anything i've ever done i think i mentioned to you the saint andrews episode of of the videos we do i will send it to you but that i think is you know if you're listening and you haven't seen that stewart plays the old course with his father as a surprise and it really tugs at the heart of you know how you learn to play golf with your nan with your nan grandmother yeah. Grandma, that's but in Australia, you call it nan or you can call
1: her i've got it i had an omar from austria but my nan was my nana so
0: nana yeah okay all right so um let's get into you know what, let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll get into uh Kate Wickham. am everybody ready all right precision pro everybody a lot of you slip into the dms over there and you ask me what the best rangefinder is the answer is it's the precision pro now i used to say it was the nx7 but not anymore Precision Pro Golf is the makers of award-winning golf rangefinders, literally award-winning folks. Do not get the words twisted, okay? Uh, They save golfer strokes on the course and save dollars in the wallets because the truth is the dollars should stay in the wallets. Well, I I guess they're supposed to leave the wallet, but the point is you want them to leave as slowly as possible. So the point is Precision Pro is excited to announce the all-new NX9. We didn't even mess with the NX8. We went straight to the nine. NX9 HD rangefinder, skipped the 8, straight over to the 9. I went from par to eagle like that, okay? Anyway, it's their most advanced rangefinder ever with a wider and brighter display. I love things that are wider and brighter. It's an iPhone screen, whatever you want to call it, projector. I don't know, fairways, just give me something that's wider and brighter. It delivers incredibly fast measurements. I can say from personal experience, that is true. There's also a built-in magnet—oh, I love magnets, uh, too—that allows golfers to securely attach the NX-9 to the cart or even an iron so that the rangefinder is always within reach for every single swing. You can pick up the all-new NX-9 HD rangefinder for $20 off. All you got to do is use the promo code ERIC, that's E-R-I-K, on the website PrecisionProGolf.com. The NX-9 HD comes with a lifetime battery replacement. Whoa! I need lifetime battery. License. How is annoying is it when you show up and your rangefinder's dead? Well, this one never dies, okay? It's like Liam Neeson in this bitch. So I didn't mean to curse. But anyway. <laughs> The NX9 comes with a HD lifetime battery replacement services and a... Wow, I messed that up. I'm going to start over. <laughs> the NX9 HD comes with a lifetime battery services replacement, battery replacement services and a two-year warranty. Two years. You're not even going to live that long. This rangefinder is going to outlive you on all scales. Anyway, it's the NX9 and it's all part of the industry-leading customer service that Precision Pro Golf delivers to every customer. I have never heard a bad word about Precision Pro since I've been recommending it personally. So you heard it here first, folks. Get your $20 off the NX9 HD or any Precision Pro uh, range finder that's great. Coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, at PrecisionProGolf.com. Last words, y'all. Swing with confidence. Hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right. One more read, folks. Adidas. Over 5 million pieces of plastic are floating in our oceans, which over time, get broken down, making it easy for sea life to ingest, ultimately affecting our own food chain. So it is your problem. It's not just a world problem. It's you. It affects you. Adidas is working with Parley to prevent plastic entering our oceans and transform it into high-performance sportswear. Mm -mm. Shoes is coming soon. Just hold on. Hold your hats, folks. I'm not even done with the ad. Stop trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Adidas is spinning the problem into what? A solution. The thread into a thread. I don't know what that means. It's written here. It says the thread into a thread. I don't know who wrote this. Adidas Golf is bringing eco-innovation to the golf course in the form of a special edition shoe. All right, this is legit, actually. This is the first time the Parlay shoe has been uh, a golf shoe. I've had it in... um, form of a running shoe. I mean, look, it's a, it's a sick shoe that serves a purpose. Okay. That's where you get it. Um, the tour Three Hundred and Sixty XT parlay, the first ever golf shoe. Oh, looks, they already wrote it for me. The first ever golf shoe made from pla- uh recycled. Oh no, it's not called recycled. It's called upcycled. I don't know what that is. I feel like I should probably Google that upcycled plastic waste that was intercepted like Jason Bourne from the Beaches and coastal communities before reaching the ocean. Dang, I didn't realize this is Jason Bourne's golf shoe. Intercepted. I mean, th- I'm a golf guy, but I also love football. Who doesn't love a classic interception, especially when it's Jason Bourne saving planet Earth? Entire upper of the shoe is made with threads spun. Also a DJ, amazing, from the Upcycled Plastic Waste. My phone's ringing. It's Andrew Marler. Hang on. All right, well, that was a 20-minute phone call, but you have no idea. It just went by like that. Um, anyway, the Tor 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe made from Upcycled Plastic. I already read this because it's got the intercepted line. Intercepted from beaches and coastal communities in a world before reaching the ocean. The entire upper of the shoe is made from thread spun from upcycled plastic waste. Built, built as the Tor 360 XT, you still get great traction and stability. I feel like, what's that line from Taken? I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> they will take you. Available starting June 10th. At Adidas.com, and for those headed to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, a select number of pairs will be sold on-site. Get into it, folks. All right, back to the show. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy. And we have a podcast called Dumb People Town, where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Okay. Uh the wonderful story of Cape Wickham, followed by the story of the farm at the hills. And then, um, you know, we'll just jazz on from there. We'll see.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. So you want me to just talk? Because I, once I start, once you wind me up, once the subject I'll gets to Cape, you. G- gets the Cape I'm not afraid I, to interrupt you. On. I'll
0: pick out what's interesting and we can okay. move on. It's right. not a rude thing.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I, my involvement started in 2011 when the land was purchased. I went to the island to do a story on the old golf course. Um, I saw the piece of land and it urgently rang... Uh, the developer, the guy who built golf courses and who was going to develop it and just urged him not to do it because he had this incredible piece of land that overlooked the best golf land I'd ever seen, but it wasn't included. Most of Cape Wickham sits on crown land, government land. And so if you stuck within the private land boundaries of that property, the course would have been impossible to walk. It would have been cart golf. And it would have been, you would have been looking down on 18 and looking down on 2 and 12 and 11 and not being able to play those holes would have been a tragedy. And so, and, and Andrew's great. He's a great friend of mine. We're doing a course on Kangaroo Island and another one in Victoria together. And But the idea all along for us on King Island was, and I, I hate saying this, I especially hate saying it when it's being recorded because it's there forever and people... Okay, I'll Also, say, should
0: I tell I, you now, I don't edit the podcast at I, I, all.
1: Okay, well, this is <laughs> this is probably going to come back to haunt me in a massive, massive way because I'm not for one minute pretending that we're in this league. But the mindset all along was, what if you put Cyprus Point on King Island, would it work? And, and to me, the huh. answer was yes. You've got a public course in the middle of King Island, if it's good. Does it work? Does it stack up? Six thousand people a year go to King Island before golf. They fly on small planes. It's hard to get to. Barmbugle Dunes is commercial flight to Launceston, and you get a rental car. It's very easy. The golf courses are fantastic. Would a good course work on King Island, or does it need to be great? And what what does great mean? And so you know the, the fact that you didn't know that I was involved in it sort of speaks to the next point that I that to me the the idea of Cape Wickham is it's twenty nineteen now. It's been open for three and a half years. To me, if it's around in 80 years, 70 years, 60 years, that's what I'm interested in. I look at Ballybunyan and think, you know, Ireland's such a beautiful country. That town, with all respect to anyone who's listening from Ballybunyan, isn't the most attractive town in Ireland. Hmm. But every year it draws tens of thousands of golfers from all around the world to play this incredible golf course. And so that's the idea with Kate Wickham. And I didn't want my name necessarily, or Mike DeVries even, who who co-designed it with me. We didn't want it to be about us. We want it to be Cape Wickham links, just Cape Wickham. That lighthouse has been there for 150 odd years. No one knows it. Well, they do now because there's a golf course there and it's shown, yeah. you know, it's shown the spotlight on it. But real, this is real a golf quick, course though, that just
0: exists. Cape Wickham was, built, was designed and built and then immediately jumped inside the world top 100.
1: Well, Golf Digest ranked it 24 on debut in the world. And then two years later ranked at 24 outside America, which is a bit weird. But um, yeah, it did.
0: But 24 outside of America is still really good
1: yeah that's right but 24 in the world was was even better
0: <laughs> I mean that's incredible dude. like how do you yeah. how do you do that that's, oh, how many well, times has that been done how many times has that been done
1: well I mean look these ranking lists they're pretty flaky really and um, hey
0: you're on the right side of it though
1: <laughs> on the right side of it yeah I mean look yeah I don't want to come off pig-headed or um, arrogant or anything but you don't I promise I, I, okay well that, that land if it wasn't you know I've seen all those top 100 courses I've been to every single one of them And wow if, you have if, everyone if, if, if you couldn't create a top 100 golf course on that property, then there was something seriously wrong with you. And, and as, <laughs> as as we started that project, I had no intention of designing the golf course. It was the developer who I'd known for 20 odd years. And he just said to me one day, I remember I was dropping my kids at school and he rang me up and he said, no one knows more about design than you. I said, but I don't know anything about building. He goes, don't, don't worry about building. It's about design. He goes, you're the guy.
0: So hang on. I'm just realizing something that I didn't realize yet. You show up... <laughs> To Cape Wickham at age 32, three, four, five, 11, oh, 30. How old 30, are
1: you? I'm um, 44.
0: Okay. So you're 35 when you show up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so.
0: Okay. So you, wait, hang on. You show up to Cape Wickham at 35 and you're not an architect. No. What are you? What do you do? <laughs> what have you been doing? Cause you, the first thing you do is design a top 24 golf course on earth. You clearly know what you're doing, but you've never done it before. I've never done it
1: before. No, but like I said, I've um, been in the golf industry since, I mean, look, I I went to America. I studied film very briefly and I realized that wasn't the the right industry for me, but there are similarities, you know, directing a film and designing a golf course. They're not that different. You know, you're really getting all these people who are experts at what they do to work together and realize your vision. So, um, but no, I published a bunch of books and that's why I traveled to 50 countries and nearly 2000 golf courses and, um, started the first golf website business in Australia and Duncan Andrews, who was the owner of the Dunes. um, When I met him, he didn't know what email was. So I set up his email for the Dunes for 13th Beach, which is the other golf course that Vic Open host just recently. Um, He had a business, David Golf, set up all those websites and just known him for a long, long time and knew he had a project in Victoria, a place called San Remo near Phillip Island, very famous island. And it was his dream to build this course on the cliffs at San Remo and it all fell over unfortunately he had issues with planning and and water and things like that but i knew deep down that there, there was this the itch that he had to scratch which was to do this golf course that was you know in the world's one of the world's best and so when i first saw the site i knew it was it was going to tug at his heartstrings and he came and saw it on a grey overcast miserable day it took him about 10 minutes before he said okay i'm in he didn't think we'd get planning approval he said if you get planning approval i'm in and then we we left and it took me and um, Andrew Purchase a, a good year or so to get it approved. Mm. Um, but yeah, the whole way through he was in once we got it approved.
0: It's so interesting. I um, I was, two, two things kind of to comment on what you're saying. Well, first of all, the film thing really made me feel, uh, was shocking to hear because right before I started talking about, right before I started wondering what you did before Cape Wickham, um, I'm glad I didn't know, right? I think that's interesting. You, uh, I, I was thinking of, Orson Welles, who at the age of 24 just kind of showed up in Hollywood and made Citizen Kane. And he didn't know anything. He didn't know what he couldn't do. And so he did whatever he wanted to do. And he made this incredible film. And, um, you know, he, he never topped it, unfortunately. So I hope that doesn't happen to you. But <laughs> Well, you enjoyed the farm, didn't you? Uh, yeah, you're right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> but uh, the idea that... I'm curious to know if there was an element of that, of not knowing what you couldn't do. Did that did that show up at all in Cape Well...
1: I, th- I think so. Like you mentioned earlier, I don't like the phrase architect because to me, it's it's one of these really unfortunate bastardized, commercialized, if you like, terms. Golf course architecture, and it's very different to building architecture or landscape architecture. I mean, it's all those. It's construction. It's drainage. It's irrigation. It's agronomy. It's all these different things, and it's golf course design. And to me, the most important one is design. It's where it all starts and finishes. If you don't have The framework. if you don't have a good routing, if you don't have a solid idea of how the holes should play, it's never going to be as good as it could be on that piece of land. And that's the only thing I know. I don't know any of the other stuff. So irrigation, drainage, earth moving, I don't know how that hump's going to be built, but it's got to be built. And this is the way it's got to to look like this, do it. And it didn't quite work. Can we make it look like this? And Kate Wickham, the beauty of that was it's all sand, so you can play around and and get it right. Um, But yeah, so... Um, you don't know what you you don't know what you don't know, I suppose. Um, but the other thing is, to be honest, I think the reason why I'm well placed to design, not do any of the other stuff, is that I've seen more bad golf than anybody in the world, more than anyone should be subjected to. And I get more out of bad golf than great golf. I mean, when you go to a place that's fantastic, you, you admire it and you respect it and you take photos and it brings you joy and pleasure and all that stuff. But you don't dissect it necessarily. When you go to a bad course, you go, "Oh my god, why would he bunker there? Why would he put the bunker there? Look at this green; this is horrendous. You know that ridge doesn't even tie in with the surround. Who can hit that shot? Where would my like the? I'm a big Cat Stevens fan. Where where do the children play? My 12 year old daughter, she's now 13. I always get that song in my head. Where do the children play when I go to a golf course like yeah Princeville in Hawaii? Was we were just talking about earlier. Where does my daughter hit shots on that on that golf course? And so, um, as I said, I think I get more. In retrospect, I think I got a lot more out of bad golf and poor holes than I did out of the really great stuff.
0: Hang on one second. I'm going to Google this song because I can't get it on my head. Hang on. All right, we're back. I'm going to. Oh, to play it? I got. It. We're just. I just want to hear what song he's talking about. This is good. So, it. I don't think I can talk over this, but.
1: Have you ever played Cat Stevens on your podcast before?
0: This is a first. <laughs> isn't it Yusef? Uh, I think a new name. Youssef Muhammad, Yeah. What a good song what an era seriously
1: it's the chorus too by the way so I don't expect it to be the first line of the first verse we well, go
0: building jumbo planes. building by-, by the way I love airplanes <laughs> this may be my new favorite song on a cosmic train I also love trains switch on summer there you go
1: you needed summer yesterday
0: Anyway, we'll get to the, you know, you get it. I, I, I recognize the song now. Yeah. Um,
1: where do the children play is, you know, if you pave paradise and put up a parking lot, that kind of idea that where do the children play oh. um, in? It, it's obviously not necessarily directly relevant, but that, that line just Nothing gets in my head. Nothing's directly so, relevant. So, you know, we're talking about Kate Wickham or about the farm and um, anything I do, I'm doing Kangaroo Island next. It's got to be playable for my daughter. It's got to be playable for my grandmother who sadly passed away, but when she was playing up to 90. and It's got to be playable for guys like you and I that can play. And if it's playable for the pros that are playing this week in the New Zealand Open, great. If they find it too easy and not challenging enough, no problem. Right. That's not the target. To me, that's not the target audience because I don't think North Berwick or Presswick or golf courses that I love that, I, that are dear to me, I don't think that they're long enough or challenging enough for those guys either and they're the best courses in the world.
0: It was interesting to hear you talk about how things that you find d- dissatisfied with or inferior, you get more out of. And I've found that true with film. When I watch shows or movies that I hate, I actually learn more. Yeah. I will learn learning in a way what not to do is because is, you're never going to learn what to do.
1: Well, watching Kevin Costner makes you appreciate Al Pacino and Robert De Niro more, right? Interesting. Well, it does. does it? I mean... I guess so. Is
0: Kevin Costner a bad actor? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I, he was in Tin Cup, which... Was, I mean...
1: No, no. I'm you? hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. I, <laughs> I don't think he listens no, there's to the podcast. I, I like the family guy, and there's a joke in the family guy where um, I haven't been this confused since I went to the last Kevin Costner film, and then Chris <laughs> walks out of Waterworld, and he says, how does that guy still get work? It just yeah. cracks me up.
0: Well, I mean, that's a famously bad movie, but I but I do. I, I, I get more out of things that don't satisfy me creatively, because... On some level, like, if you're really a creative person, you can't learn how to be creative. I mean, you can kind of be inspired and, I guess, take um, inspiration from. Like, you know, Picasso obviously learned to do his early work. You wouldn't recognize it at all. No. You know, and, and how do you look at, you know, uh, that as far as, like, a career of an architect that you admire? How, how, do you see that happening at all? Yeah, and again,
1: at the risk of offending a whole bunch of people that I know and respect <laughs> and like
0: and and a deer and everything...
1: Um, it's it's the Seth Rayner-McDonald model. And it's this sort of curiosity I have with the American fascination with that uh, idea of building golf courses that way. Because
0: when you say that way, please explain. Well, first to, of all- Template holes.
1: Like McDonald ah, went to Scotland, found 2021 template holes. National golf links. And national golf links. Wait, metal. do you not like national No, no, golf I love links? national. I, I love them. <laughs> but but, but, I, but I, I might offend those who are in that Rayner-McDonald is genius and top of the tree architecturally- Mindset. Because, I don't know. You know, to me, we're we're now in 2019, and the reason, kind of, part of the reason why i sort of switched off golf media, and uh, it's just become a bit of an echo chamber. And you pick out your favourite quote from McDonald, or you pick out your favourite co- quote from Alistair McKenzie. Bang, that that makes you an expert. And to me, we've moved forward. There are now thousands of great holes in the world. There's not just 21. So if mm. I'm building a golf course and I see a piece of land. It's probably not one of those 21 holes that McKenzie loved from Europe when he first went, uh, f- sorry, that McDonald loved when he went to Europe that's popping into my head. I mean, who knows? It could be the 15th of Victoria, which is one of my all-time favourite par 4s. We've got the 16th hole at Kangaroo Island. is not a dead ringer at all for Royal Adelaide number three, but it's got elements of it, and Royal Adelaide 3 must be in my top 10, 15 favourite holes anywhere in the world.
0: Three is the one that right after you go over the railroad? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: You play from the railroad. It's a short little path forward, right. 277 metres. Right. And what I love about it, it's right there next to the first tee as well. And no matter what, when you play Royal Adelaide, you think it burns you every time. <laughs> Today I'm going to play it conservatively or I'm going to hit a five iron or I'm going to hit a... Dr- Whatever your play is on the first tee, when I get to the third, this is what I'm going to do. What if you go birdie-birdie? Or what if you go bogey-double-bogey? <laughs> suddenly it changes and so the wind's blowing or you're not feeling comfortable or you're, you know, you're feeling cocky. If you hit a good three-wood on the third, it's the easiest birdie at Royal Adelaide. So when you're standing on the tee and you've made a couple of birdies are you really going to play that hole conservatively or are you going to get that 3 wood in your hand and to me that's the, that's the essence of great golf like to go back to of oh gosh we're jumping around a bit but to go back to what makes a great hole to me it's when not not par 3s fours and fives it's when you've got more than one option so when you're standing over the ball at Royal Adelaide with a 3 wood in your hand and you know you've got a conservative play you could easily just play 5 iron wedge every day of the week and you'll make par but you want to make birdie, so you pull out that three wood. So there's a little bit of hesitation. It's the same at Royal County Downs. The reason why that's probably my favourite course outside. I haven't Australia. been
0: yet. I'm so excited. Oh,
1: it's an awesome place. But it, it, every time you you make a decision or every time you take a gamble, in the back of your head is this doubt that, is this really the right thing to do? And, you know, I could ease up here. I could play more conservatively. And, yeah, I just like any time I'm just grabbing a driver because it's – you know rough on the right rough on the left or bunkers on the trees whatever it is if you just got to hit down the middle like a Reese Jones course it tests to me they test execution not strategy miss it right you're dead miss it left you're dead hit it straight so you pull out your driver and you try and hit it straight there's no hesitation there's no sense that you're using the wrong club you just got to hit it straight and then you you know try and avoid the water on the approach shot Um, so yeah that's
0: what know. what would you say? Um, you know, I think a lot of times I think about. I'm I'm, I'm really enjoying comparing my work to your work, um, and and seeing the similarities and differences. I'm finding we have a lot in common, and it's and it's interesting. Um, wh- one of the things that I think about in my work is the idea that um, no one knows quite what on earth happened in order for a piece of material to come to life. Um, it and and a lot of times what they don't see is the incredible difficulty. The politics, the money, the you know, you know, just just the twists and turns that really, really make me believe that you know Andy Warhol has a quote: "A good business is the best art." Hmm. And I and I do think about that a lot because I know in some ways, just getting the freaking video done is actually the hardest part. Uh, you know, p- appeasing all of the characters involved, especially when it's more of a commercial video. Luckily, we've had the good fortune of being able to make videos just for us for for the past few um, years and months. But but even still, there's stories within that where it's like just getting it done yeah. is is an art form. How when you look at um you know the projects that you've completed and the projects you're working on, what what does that come into play at all?
1: It does, and in fact, it's interesting. Michael Hill, when I first started working here, he was he was
0: is the owner of the property. The owner
1: of the pro- property, and you might have seen some of his doodles, like his little sketches. Like there's a sign at the first tee that says. Anyone caught driving the long grass will be shot. That's his little cartoon sketches that he's that he does. And he had an idea for a book that he started and didn't finish, where he was going to do this, he was going to get 50 or 80, I can't remember how many, really influential, famous Kiwis, sports stars, politicians, celebrities, all sorts of people, to give him their favorite quote, and then he was going to sketch a cartoon to to match. And the very first quote was going to be, and I forget whose quote it was, it's the starting that stops most people. And it's interesting because my books, I self-publish Planet Golf, Planet Golf USA and Planet Golf Modern Masterpieces and the new one I'm doing. And and it is, you've just got to commit to it and you've got to get it done. And there's an enormous sense of satisfaction. Professionally though, the the most rewarding project I've ever been involved with because Cape Wickham was hard. I mean, it was, there was a lot of pressure and you couldn't really get swept up in the romance of what we're doing. It was really, edu- you're flying by the seat of your pants. This is by far and away the most, professionally rewarding thing I've ever done, the Hills here, because day one, I walked this property. I met Michael Hill for for breakfast, having briefly the night before seen the double green area and the ninth hole and met him for breakfast for the first time and had to sort of burst his bubble a little bit. And I said, look, I don't think you can have your cake and eat it too. I think you can have a little pitch and putt course here perhaps. Um, It won't really appeal to people like me, but it might be a cute thing for beginners to hack around once or twice a year. This doesn't sound like you. Well, I, I I don't know how to be tactful. I only know how to sort of speak what I.
0: No, no, not not so much that you said it, but what you're saying doesn't sound like you.
1: Well, because I came here four thirty in the evening in winter, it got dark at five. So all we did was we saw that double green in the ninth hole, and there was a the reason why I was here. There was a pitch and putt plan from the previous the, the architect who did the first course. Mm. Um, Anyway, and I looked at it, and the holes were between, say, 70 yards and 100 yards. So it was just going to be like the double green, for example, had two greens and two Ts. So it was not what you saw. And just having a quick look at it didn't look, it just looked too severe. The land looks like it falls away too sharp sharply. I mean, you look out over that valley, where are you going to go?
0: The second hole is pretty extreme. I mean, it's a 170 yard carry.
1: But you can hit it with a putter. I mean, you can play from the left side and just put it down. Agreed. The bank. So, Agreed. But anyway, after breakfast, I walked out. Walked across the water race exactly where the first tee is. Walked up to that double green where This is the most natural spot. You know, what a shame that we can't have more holes like this. And then sort of crossed the race. Walked around to where the second hole is and went, oh, that's amazing. It's a shame that there's not seven more. But then looked left and saw that valley and went, oh, my God, that par three up over the knob. How good is that? And then getting up there and seeing the fourth, seeing the fifth. And I'm not kidding you. It took an hour and a half to route this course. And an hour and a half after I've had breakfast with Michael Hill, I, I had to call him up and said, can you come out to your property? Because I think you've got the most amazing short course I've ever seen in my life. And he goes, oh, I thought you said it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. But um,
0: so that Under was, promise, over deliver.
1: Well, but that but when I say rewarding, was from that moment onwards, he's a very enthusiastic guy. Says, oh, yeah, that's going to be marvelous. And that hole's going to be marvelous. But as you're walking around, you're not sure whether he's just saying that or will he actually commit? Because as you mentioned last night, when you go through the fourth hole, for example, in that valley, there are a bunch of approved house sites there. They were never going to be built while Michael and Christine lived here, but they were there approved and they were worth, you know, millions of dollars. It's, you know, prime real estate. So he was nodding along very enthusiastically. I actually kind of was wondering whether or not he was gonna let me do it. But when we got to the ninth, and the ninth is the only hole that we manufactured. The rest of it was all there. Mm. And he just loved it so much. He said, okay, let's do it. When do we start? And we're like, well, hang on, Paul, don't we need approval? Well, maybe. So we had to get approval. But but the whole way through, there hasn't been a corner cut. There's been no compromise at all. And it's not that we've spent a lot of money. It's What, what I'm passionate about is it takes less than two people to maintain this golf course. You know, not Having no bunkers helps, obviously. But this is a sustainable, enduring model that, Everyone can play, and I, one of the members last night told me that if they have twenty rounds here, the next twenty rounds are going to play eighteen times on the short course and two on the big course. Whoa! And that made me feel you know pretty cool because that's what I would do. I'd play that course every morning if it was in Mornington.
0: I'm uh, I'm a bit. I feel bamboozled that I just realized there are no bunkers, <laughs> and I'm going back in my memory trying to see if you're right. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> right. You're I'm definitely, definitely right. right. Yeah, yeah.
1: That. There's a course in the UK, Royal Ashdown Forest, that that people rave about because it's got no bunkers. And I went there and saw it and I thought it was a cute golf course without any bunkers. But Arrowtown literally does not need bunkers. And it's one of my favorite places, probably my second or third favorite place in New Zealand. And so our fourth green, from our fourth green to the entrance at Arrowtown is probably a par five or a par four. So
0: town is the Muni, the the local, the public yeah. course.
1: Well, it's a members club, but yeah, it's uh, green fee as well. Yeah. But
0: public, yeah, it's it's a 500, semi-private.
1: Yeah, five hundred dollars a year membership. I mean, it's the best value of golf.
0: And I'll pay that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my the Sam, my mate Sam, who maintains the farm, he's a member over there. He just shot the course record sixty three a few weeks ago. Wow. So, yeah, but but you know when you've got a hundred year old water race, it's as beautiful as the race going through that property.
0: What's a race? Is that a river? Well, the, a creek. You know the burn that runs burn. through the. You call it a race.
1: They call it the Arrow Irrigation, uh, the Arrow Water Race.
0: R A C E. R A C E. Yeah. What is that why? That sounds like a, a car race.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not a Kiwi actually, so I. Can, but it's I can, a Kiwi. Can, it's a New Zealand words word. On that. Yeah, I guess it's yeah, just just like burn is a Scottish word. So uh, there you go. But yeah, I mean that that thing was built, I think in 1924 from memory, something like that. So it's nearly 100 wow. years old. And wh- where, where would I have put a bunker? I mean, I. I I still, to this day, don't... The only hole I thought we maybe could have had a bunker was perhaps nine, but I don't think it needs it.
0: Uh, Well, I would like you to invite you to write a letter to golf in your own words right now. Dear golf, and then have at it.
1: Dear golf or dear golf administrators? Because the dear golf administrators, you might have to get your hand on the beat button. Well, Um, you
0: can choose to answer however you want, but the only instruction is to write a letter to golf and it started off, dear golf.
1: uh, Dear golf, you're still the greatest game that man's ever invented and hopefully man wakes up at one point and realizes that um, over the last sort of 20 or 30 years it's done more damage to the game than good unfortunately but there are still a lot of great people involved in golf still a great game um, but the industry definitely has some thinking to do and some changing to do
0: Who is the golf industry?
1: Well you know like yeah gosh I'm gonna I could offend anybody here but uh, Hey it sounds like
0: maybe offending people is part of your demo part of your vibe you Well know? You get more work.
1: I, I always say to people, I, you're
0: I, eccentric. N- I, I
1: never set out in golf to make friends. I didn't, I don't set out to upset people. Sure. But golf's the greatest industry in the world for a free lunch. So if you're a golf administrator, <laughs> you go to all these Royal clubs and you get your jacket and tie, you play golf, you have a free lunch and you get a shirt, you have a wonderful time. And people talk about the camaraderie at these upper echelon golf clubs. But meanwhile, Rome Burns, you know, the golf membership in Australia is down 20% since 2000. Oh, no. So Royal Adelaide, Royal Melbourne, New South Wales, the Australian Royal City, those clubs are fine. Kingston, they're going to be fine for a long, long time. They're great, um, prestigious, desirable golf clubs. But the middle tier, second, third tier golf clubs that are struggling, well, these guys are obsessing over elite golfers and national championships and handicapping systems and rule changes and all these things that really don't hold much um, interest or relevance for these middle tier golf clubs you know they've dropped I think they've dropped the ball so and the media is the other thing I mean the the media um, either report on professional golf or bitch and moan about golf and I don't think enough of them hold administrators to account I mean to think about you know the 460cc drive is a classic example Tiger Woods in 2000 destroyed Pebble Beach, destroyed a world-class field, played golf that we'll probably never see again. He used a 265cc driver. If I'd told you then that the driver should be rolled back, people would have gone, oh, you know, we'll, we'll lose golfers, and it's not, not as enjoyable, and you can't do that. Well, now we're at 460. If you say roll it back, they say the exact same thing, but there are less golfers. Club membership numbers are on decline in America and Canada, Australia and New Zealand. And obviously over in the UK is the most alarming because that's the birthplace for the game. So the correlation between easier clubs to hit and booming participation outside Asia, it just doesn't exist.
0: Okay, so I agree with you and all that's great. But what can anyone listening to this podcast actually do?
1: Well, look, I had dinner with Mike Davis once at um, Somerset Hills a few years ago, and yeah, he Ooh. seems like a great guy. But there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do I, for whatever Wait, reason. There's nothing Mike Davis can do for whatever reason. Those organisations are um, either afraid of litigation, or they literally have their heads in the sands and they can't see. You know, a, a couple percent increment uh, increase every every year is, as an issue, but. You know, to me, I don't know enough about. You know, I use old. I still use a persimmon three. Would I have a half set of clubs? An old putter. I, I don't play the same game. I You're play. out there. I haven't had a handicap since 1992, so I'm not a normal. <laughs> I'm not a normal golfer, but I look at Dustin Johnson. Like I'm not trying to diminish his skill level or his achievements at all here, but look at where his wrists are at the top of his swing. And look I, at, I
0: actually try not to. But how, I try to avoid looking at that.
1: How would he possibly unleash that power through the ball? With a great big bertha that was one hundred ninety five cc, so he wouldn't be able to. I, I mean, he would need to put be, it on
0: a piece of wrought iron.
1: Yeah, his misses would be massive.
0: Uh, his missus? his lady. No, oh, sorry, you his mean his miss? His,
1: <laughs> no, his misses always <laughs> going to be. I thought you were a quite, friend of Paulina being no, bigger, actually, and no, I was I like, his misses are always going to be slim and athletic and very attractive. So, but no, his his You're, poor shots would be quite. Um,
0: wh- where do you sit in the sphere in the in the solar system of the golf industry? Where what planet are you on?
1: Well, I think, look, I think I'm, um, yeah, I'm an outsider clearly in Australia, um, but I have a lot of friends and um, I'm not the only one, um, but I'm very critical of Golf Australia and the PGA of Australia and the way the game's administered in in our country. But equally so, I'm very critical of the so-called media because golf used to be mainstream and now it's niche. And a lot of that has to do with media not holding those guys to account, I think. See, but
0: Darius, you know, I'm going to call you to task. Right. We talked in the beginning about social media and you're like, I don't take part. And I feel like uh, it's a missed opportunity. And I know that it's a bit of a job because I have it. It's my it's part of my job. But but the truth is right now we've got open source. Right. We anyone can say whatever they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. And that's that's something that, you know, you don't need to just be on someone's podcast to do that. You know, you could start your own podcast or you could, you know, use Instagram or Twitter to start spreading the words that you care about. Yeah, you're yeah. smiling at me because you <laughs> might know that I'm a little bit right. Well, you're you ought could, to be I mean, I bad. know it's a job, but but you you're talking about, you know, saying you're if you're faulting the media, I totally agree with you, but I don't read it anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I've I wrote for Golf Digest in Australia for seven years, and um, I do have my own website, and I do write articles and Golf Australia. I mean, it, interesting. If the CEO of Golf Australia was here right now, he'd be doing this <laughs> cut, cut, cut. Don't encourage him, please. Don't encourage him because I do write some, I do write some pretty pointed commentary. But look. At the end of the day when it, as it relates well, to Well I will link
0: to that and uh, like tell me what the most interesting article you've written that I haven't read yet. I'm sorry. I don't read anything. No, no, no. no. I, I don't blame I you. Don't. I, I don't either. I don't so even I, read O Henry.
1: If look if I was in your position I wouldn't read my stuff either. But um <laughs> yeah, look the, the most probably the most controversial uh it depends. Look, I've just written an article that's upset my own golf club and put me on the oh, no. brink of being kicked out of the club and but I, You like, might get kicked out of Rome Well, over. no. I, no, I'm not I'm a member at Peninsula. Peninsula, uh, Peninsula okay. Kingswood no I, I wouldn't know where to start there, i do know one i'll tell you off off air because <laughs> I, I would not want to be seen to be encouraging people to click on a, an old link and read an old article of mine but um, well we'll throw
0: a few links in the podcast okay. description i'm looking forward to reading some myself um as re- as retroactive research
1: there you go that's <laughs> the best sort of research isn't it?
0: <laughs> no but i've enjoyed getting to know you uh do you have anything you want to add or any questions for me
1: uh, it's a great question, actually. Do I have questions for you? probably have too many to put on the end of this podcast, but no, it's been fascinating. I think what you're doing is great, traveling around the world and seeing these places and actually getting a bit of an insight into the characters is, is fantastic. I just hope, you know, to go back to your, your point about the articles, as it relates specifically to golf course architecture and golf course design, um, I've written so many articles on design, so many articles on architecture and books and books and books. If you want to know what I think, go play the farm and hopefully Kangaroo Island soon. To, to me, that's my belief. My, You know, I, I don't want to be another one of those people that are throwing opinions out there and writing these things that I might've mentioned this to, I think I mentioned it to Colt, that I consulted on a golf club not long ago where they're doing some redevelopment work and there were six uh, golf course architecture firms sub, uh, submitted applications or expressions of interest. Five of them quoted Dr. Alistair McKenzie and none of their proposals really had anything to do with what Mackenzie might have approved. And so to me, it is just, you know what? I'm, I'm done with talking. That's what I believe. That's how I believe golf should be. And Kangaroo Island will be the same. That's what I believe golf's all about. It's not about pandering to the guys that hit 320, 330 yards. If they play the course and enjoy it, that's fantastic. But they are just not my target market.
0: Well, let me tell you, I, uh, I'm glad... I'm really, really glad that I had the chance to play it and enjoy that sort of way of conversing with, uh, with you, you know, it sits up there for me as one of the more delightful experiences in golf that I've ever had, um, that fall outside the canon that people normally say, this is golf. Um, and for me really exemplify moments in my life of, you know, um, wonderful experiences, both of just traveling, but also just like looking at a golf course, you know, and I think about, um you know just just it's in a it's in a wonderful location and you're challenged to sort of something about the course that you designed gives me the ability you don't grip the club as tight do you know what i'm saying
1: no and you what i like about it is you actually watch the ball more closely for longer you hold your follow through because the ball bounces and feeds and yeah the. The most pleasing moment for me these last five days being here while we're getting it ready for opening is Lady Christine Hill hasn't played golf for I think seven or eight years and now she's played the farm four or five times and I don't blame her for not playing because golf is hard and golf can torture you and it's not much fun getting in and out of bunkers and when you haven't got that sort of game. She can go out there and she can dribble balls off tees and she can occasionally get one airborne and hit it 120 metres straight and it bounces left and then it feeds onto the green and she gets this thrill and she gets the same thrill... I think that Dustin Johnson gets hitting at 350 yards over, a, you know, over a lake to a skinny fairway to win a PGA tournament, and that's um, that's the beauty of that property. That's why I can't take too much credit. The property was absolutely perfect for that sort of golf.
0: Sure, but you could have messed it up. And the, the idea that the, that that lady Christine and myself and you and anyone listening can have the same feeling as as a player as accomplishes Dustin Johnson is probably true and definitely impossible to disprove so i'll take it there you go. and i do like that idea so thank you for leaving us on a great note like thanks, that Thanks,
1: Eric. it's been great talking to you
0: You too everyone if you're interested in learning more about darius's work any photos obviously there'll be some links down below in the podcast um maybe he'll start an instagram or, or some twitter soon we'll see i'll see if i can talk him into that
1: <laughs> all right cheers thank you thanks goodbye